through Matthew chapter 19. Our text this morning will be just uh, verses 13, 14, and 15. Three short verses having to do with short people, little children. Matthew 19, verse 13. Then Jesus were brought to Jesus. Then children were brought to Jesus that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Let's pray. Lord, we see the disciples here, the best friends, the best instructed of Jesus' friends, uh, did not really comprehend, didn't really understand the place of children in the kingdom of heaven. And we pray, Lord, that as we would honor you in all things, that we would honor you even in this teaching. Open our hearts, open our minds, that we might receive the light of your truth, that we might glorify you in this truth, and that we might have the mind of Christ in all things, but especially today with regard to your little ones, children. We pray your help always. In the name of Jesus, amen. Please be seated. How many of you have, how many of you have Bibles, that you've brought Bibles? Can I see the Bibles you've raised up? If you have a Bible, can you raise it up? It's a big book, isn't it? Can you believe that a religion with a book this big and heavy would be a religion for children? I mean, a lot of children would just maybe sprain their hands trying to lift it up or drop it. But if we read what the scriptures have just told us from Psalm 78, we have a duty to all children in our families and in the church whoever is under the covenant of God, to give them this and, and, nothing, and nothing less. And that, my friends, is what Jesus was interested in doing. After all, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, is the creator of all things. All things were made through him in the Spirit, and they were, all things are created for him. And so it only stands to reason that the Lord Jesus would have a very close interest and knowledge of the life of every creature, but especially those that are children, and, uh, made in his image, restored in, in his image through the gospel promise of the, of the resurrection, of the forgiveness of sins. And uh, that indeed is, is the case. Now, it's very, it's very important to know the context of where we are in the previous uh, chapter, we see a lot of uh, teaching, mostly in private. The Lord is still dealing very much with his disciples in close instruction, but now he's in a more public arena. But uh, the difficulty of the disciples, of course, in being set up for uh, some very difficult teaching uh, that needed to be reformed concerning marriage and divorce and remarriage, and the possible technicalities of that, I mean, even our session has, has, has worked through this and to understand better uh, what the teaching involves. These are difficult reforms for God's people. Now, the Bible speaks very clearly on this. 
but uh, you do have you do need the mind of Christ, the, the the Holy Spirit's illumination, to understand forgiveness in the church, and and forgiving those who who, who have offended you, and what to do if you are offended, and and to strive for reconciliation and peace among others, and then the special case of that that estrangement uh, in in marriage uh, when that goes wrong and and divorce and 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 what what constitutes the right grounds for divorce and things like. These are all pretty heavy subjects, as, you, as you'd expect from a heavy book, right? Yeah. So in being groomed in, in some of the, the finer points, as it were, uh, of, of the teaching of God, you find yourself in an environment where children, the natural product of marriage, by the way, this is kind of a, a long stream. It's kind of a tied note in the symphony. Talking about marriage, you're going to be talking about, you know, one of the purposes of marriage is for companionship and economic benefit, being a help to one another, but also children. Psalm 78 clearly says it's it's a blessing of the Lord, and we're to give them this. And now the subject comes about after the teaching of the eunuchs, <laughs> after after talking about eunuchs, people who can't have children or won't have children, uh, either by necessity or or, or through to persecution and all manner of, of reasons. Now some of the people in the background, <laughs> in the public arena, have a question about, well, here's, here's, here's our children. Let's take them to the Lord Jesus. Because after all, <laughs> Jesus started the conversation, he opened the conversation about children in the 18th chapter. You remember that in verse 2? Calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And he begins to, to talk about the way we receive the kingdom as, as children receive good things from their parents. They don't earn it. They're not on their payroll. Well, they just receive very, very graciously of the goodness and love of a father and a mother. And that opens up the conversation for avoiding stumbling blocks and all this. And now, as if with a pair of bookends, we see that the disciples themselves are not understanding the teaching of the place of children in the kingdom. They are, they are acting very close to being a stumbling block to the very children that they were warned not to, not to, be, not, not to dismiss. And, and so this is a very important context because it gives you once again an insight into the heart of our Savior, into the heart, not just, not just the law in terms of you know, mechanics, the mechanics of reconciliation and all that, but all the goodness that accompanies the kingdom of God, the Lord, and our relationship to him, even to the least. So the teaching this morning, and I hope that context, I took a little time to develop this because it, this, is one, this is one of the things that the disciples, as it were, tripped up on. We, we really don't want to trip up on the same. Here's the teaching. The teaching this morning is that Jesus takes great interest in receiving young children to himself because they also are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. It's not that they shall be one day. It's not that they, but no, it's not, it's not by analogy such as these are, the humble, the meek. No, it's that the children constitute, children constitute a part of the citizenry of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus takes great interest in receiving young children to himself. 
because they are also citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We have just two points, not a long sermon. The first one is, is this, that Jesus takes great interest in the children of his kingdom. Um, some, uh, no doubt, because this is, again, in a more public arena, some, no doubt, in Israel understood this by watching Jesus, his humble and uh, gracious demeanor, his, uh, his ability to watch over all manner of people, not just the down and out, not just the marginalized, but even, even the little ones who really, if you think of it, they're powerless. They have no political power. They have no, hardly any power to express themselves uh, with words, uh, and they can't bear arms. And some in Israel understood this. Or perhaps some in Israel understood the enduring nature of God's covenant. And even in the Old Testament, and even here in Matthew, before the enacting of uh, the Lord's Supper, before declaring the blood of the new and everlasting covenant, the new covenant, and the blood of Christ, we see that we we have the Jews here in a under a covenant of, of grace. It's a it's a gracious covenant. The, 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 the Jew was saved by grace in the coming of Messiah, the Lord Jesus. His faith, his faith in the promises of God that all rest upon the Lord Jesus. Every promise of this entire book, every single promise is pivoted on the person and the work of Christ, Messiah, Jesus. And so when we preach the whole book, Everything by promise is of Christ, and all the righteousness here is also descriptive of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. But anyway, perhaps someone in the arena there, in the public arena, understood the enduring nature of the everlasting covenant of God, uh, that is the covenant of grace. Now, granted, it had a different form and a different administration in the Old Testament in various uh, different types of, of covenants with Abraham, with David, uh, but they were all of grace. Now, this is very consistent, of course, with Jesus being the mediator, the true mediator of all the saved of God's people in every dispensation. Uh, before the law, uh, you know, even before Noah's flood, there has only been one mediator who was able to intercede and to, to pray for and to uh, help and to bring men, lost sinners, uh, back to God. Oh, there's only been one mediator. Throughout the whole of the Bible, there's only one mediator. In the Old Testament, he wasn't named because Jesus was not yet born, but he has always been the second person of the Trinity working uh, through the third person, uh, the Holy Spirit. And that is clear to anyone who reads the Old Testament a little more carefully. But the covenant of grace is consistent with Jesus himself being the true mediator of this grace. And these, this grace brought little children uh, to the Lord God, Jehovah, in the Old Testament. And so it, surely, now this is a dark mystery in the gospel. It's revealed in the preaching, but it's also been revealed in all the prophetic literature. And there are always some that in the spirit understood these, these, these precious truths, these precious mysteries that are now being going to be proclaimed even by the disciples of the Lord. Um, Jesus, uh, they understood the enduring nature of the covenant of grace, uh, and the parents on the children's behalf uh, would bring their children before God 
for circumcision and dedication uh, and uh, always teaching them the ways of God, God and explaining to them uh, the, the Passover meal and what, is, what does this all mean. And he was to learn of the deliverance uh, and the redemption of Jehovah God from Egypt and, and, and the, the price of that was the firstborn, uh, which was paid up again by, by the, the tribe of Levi. All these, all these things the children were to be, uh, to be taught. And they are not capable, of course, of getting up out of the house and, and going to synagogue or going to these teachers of themselves. And so the parents bring them. And here's the case of these people that have somehow obtained an insight into the character of Jesus, perhaps the character of the covenant of grace, which was an eternal covenant made with the fathers. Perhaps this is why these brought these children, asking Jesus to lay hands and to pray. And essentially, they're asking for the Lord Jesus' blessing. Now, I, we could jump off here and, and have a whole different sermon, which we're not going to do, but they're not asking for, for a little thing here. As we read in all of the, uh, the Old Testament, when God blesses, uh, things happen. God blesses the initial creation, and, it's, and it survives. Uh, animals reproduce and propagate, even, and they fill the earth to this day. The waters of the, of the ocean are, are teeming with life. He blessed Adam and Eve, and, and the human race endures, even after their, their death and sin and trespasses, even after the fall of man. Uh, we have God's grace blessing. He blessed Pharaoh. Uh, Joseph blessed Pharaoh and Egypt, and that empire grew and prospered for many, many years uh, after, after Joseph. The blessing of the Lord Jesus is not a little thing. And that's not something small that they're that they're doing uh, for the Lord, for their children, bringing them to Jesus. Um, others, however, even the disciples did not yet understand Jesus' interest in these children. The disciples uh, grew, then rebuked the, they, they they corrected the grown-ups for bringing the children, and uh, of course. Uh, the, the result is that the disciples themselves here stood in the way of children's access to Jesus. Again, it brings us back to verse 2 of the previous chapter. Well, we all need to learn, don't we? Uh, we and the, the Lord is a master teacher, and, and when we're wrong, he, he will correct us. Much of the ministry of, of the Word in Sunday school and in the pulpit is, is correcting uh, our wrong beliefs and uh, correcting our wrong behaviors. And if we're not teachable in this respect, then we really are no disciple of Christ. And so Jesus corrected his disciples. He taught them the truth. Uh, again, he's reforming the religion of the Jews, which needed much reformation. But he's also uh, dealing with the prejudices, the, the false assumptions, the false notions of those that he's now known uh, for close to, to three years, three and a half years almost. So Jesus affirmed then the correctness uh, of, of these people, bringing them to children, and, and even uh, affirmed that that desire was a healthy desire for the parents. And it's good for the children to come to him. So the, the disciples who are bigger and stronger 
they certainly have more knowledge in their heads, they must yield. They must yield to the children and give them access to the Lord Jesus. The disciples must never forbid access to the Lord Jesus. Now, this is something that we need to keep in mind. At, uh, and we're going to see it uh, in an upcoming sermon on the, the young ruler. Uh, many who are uh, first, that is to say they have a good name in the synagogue, they have a great deal of, uh, of influence in the, in the society, perhaps they've been very charitable uh, in any ways to, to many ways to the poor. And yet that rich young ruler, as we'll see in the preaching, he still knew he lacked something. What, what do I lack? And Jesus said, well, you know, the commandments, you've got to keep them, you know, to, if you want to enter life. I've done these. I've done these all my life. But he knew that something was missing. And perhaps you might today think the same. I've had a good upbringing. I've had an excellent schooling. I've got all these privileges. And yet I don't, I don't really know the liberty that some will do and as a son of God rejoicing and, and having a good assurance. I mean, we're, we're here to remind you that as big as this book is, as big as this book is, God can reach to you and give you something far beyond your own comprehension and ability to even describe, uh, because he does so uh, to the hearts and lives of some children uh, born to man. And so, my friends, uh, the thing is to, to cease striving and to know that he's God, that he himself will be exalted in all nations, that he will be exalted in the earth, that whom he calls effectually, that he, he does justify and it's really out of your hands. You have nothing at all to do with your salvation. It's God who has mercy upon whom he will, who calls whom he will. And the first shall be last. Many who are first, not all, but many who are first shall be last. And the little ones, the last, the, the least considered of all, will be able to inherit and one day we'll have the full knowledge, a full knowledge of the will of God as he's, do, as he's revealed it to us. Jesus takes great interest in children in this kingdom because they're living analogies. In the end, we all have to receive his kingdom as these little ones do, as a free gift. The second and final point of the sermon is that Jesus' kingdom is gracious, it's most gracious. And so therefore, that kingdom includes children. The kingdom that was uh, predicted here, or that was prophesied in the coming of Messiah, is a great theme of the Gospel of Matthew. And when John the Baptist first begins uh, preaching on the Jordan, he preaches uh, a baptism for repentance. And many uh, were coming from all parts of Judea and beyond, Galilee and others, even the nations. They were hearing the prophet John and they were, they were repenting. They were, they were being baptized in the Jordan, confessing their sins and, and turning from them to the promises of God. And what was that promise? Ultimately, the promise was that the one is coming, and very, very, very soon, whose sandals I'm not, I'm not even worthy to untie. Okay? Someone greater. And he must increase and I must decrease. And when he appears, he says, there, now 
All eyes on him. There is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There. Follow him. My friends, that is faithfulness to the kingdom. But that kingdom is still as radical as it was in, in, in cutting away the pride of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and their unrepentant hearts. It's still, in a great measure, a continuation of the covenant of grace. And those children under the covenant were not disenfranchised. Jesus still has an interest in those children that were covenanted by God. Now, it was an outward and visible covenant, but we'll speak to that in a future, in a future preaching. But let's just establish now that Jesus, who was a consummate Jew, knew, knew the terms of the covenant of grace and all who were included. And certainly the covenant included children in all of the Old Testament. Jesus' kingdom then is gracious. And so, of course, it includes children. It's not only adults, but, but children also are citizens of the visible kingdom of heaven and even the invisible kingdom of heaven. Adults would need to hear the gospel, and they were, are required to believe, and as John the Baptist preached, they must repent, and they must follow the Lord Jesus to be saved. The children then, but are not likely to be able to demonstrate all of these things. They're not likely to be able to express their faith. I know, I know our children do very, very well. I always encourage our children to come before the session. If they have a living interest in Jesus, to come forward and, you know, they can confess it. But if not, they're ready, that's fine. Yes, you know, they have, to, they have to think about these things and, and, and express this faith. But not all of them can, and some are not likely to demonstrate true repentance uh, in the church. But sometimes you can see it at home a little bit better, confessing when you're wrong. I'm sorry I hit you. I'm sorry I kicked the soccer ball in your nose, you know, things like that. And to follow Jesus, it's harder with children. But this does not, by any means, bar children from the kingdom of heaven. No. The difficulty of the task does not make it impossible for God. He's already told us with, with men, these things are impossible. With God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. God's covenant with grace in the Old Testament included children. We see Abraham, the promise there. I will establish my covenant between me, says the Lord, and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God, Genesis 17, verses 7 through 8. You see, my friends, we, of course, in Romans are called the sons of Abraham because we're of like faith. And so a similar faith would include the very heart of the covenant of grace, that the parents come in by faith and circumcision, but that the children are included in the visible, in the visible administration of that covenant of grace. Jacob then blessed Joseph's children the same way. Uh, Joseph's uh, children, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, were brought to, to Jacob on his dying bed. There you can read it in Genesis 48. And he blessed them. And see, this is what the, the disciples surely knew. But the patriarchs had this heart 
that Jacob, being a prophet, would have understood this. And Jesus, of course, being the prophet, understands it, and so he, he blesses the little children. You read about that in Genesis, uh, especially verses 9 through 20. Jacob had, had great vision for his descendants and his offspring, and he said um, uh, there uh, in that reading in Genesis 48, by you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. They were to be, as it were, a standard bearer for the rest of the children of Israel. Now, parents were charged, as we read <clears throat> this morning in our bulletin, parents were charged to instruct their children fully uh, in the faith uh, and diligently in, in the faith, not leaving anything to chance uh, by way of priority. And you can read all of that in Psalm 89 and verse uh, uh, 3 through 4, you have said, I made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne to all generations. Again, I won't get into the messianic uh, prediction there, but offspring are always considered in the blessings of the covenant of grace. Um, again, the, the prophecy of the Old Testament regarding the, the new covenant the nature of the covenant of grace in Jeremiah, verse 32, includes children. I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. Jeremiah 32, verses 39 and 40. And so God's covenant of grace in the kingdom of heaven continues now in the New Testament time to include children. Uh, and so Jesus, of course, states this very plainly here, very plainly in our text, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and he blessed them. And this is no parable. This is an actual blessing and so there's an actual theological statement. The Apostle Peter, of course, preached the very same thing uh, at Pentecost there in Jerusalem uh, upon the, the resurrection uh, of the Lord Jesus in Acts uh, chapter 2, verses 23 and following. He establishes that the Lord has risen and he's ascended to the right hand of God. And from there, he rules over all and he has poured forth the promised Holy Spirit upon all flesh. And this is the commotion that you see now in Jerusalem. This is why all the speaking in the various languages, and, uh, and this is why people are exalting the Lord and, and all of his glorious deeds and hearing it in their, own, in their own language. And he's explaining that, and people then see the mistake they've made in crucifying their Messiah and in, in, in dismissing him as a villain. And they're cut in heart. They're, they're, they're convicted. They said, no, we've thrown away our only hope. What are we going to do now? Is our hope gone? No, 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 no. Peter preaches. He says, no, this Christ was crucified by you, but it was by the very decree of the Lord. This is God's will that his son should suffer and die and bleed for the nation, that all the children of God would have the Lamb of God's blood upon them and be saved. And, and, so, and so all you need to do is receive this Christ whom you had rejected, Believe on him, and you will be saved. And then he appendix right away, the appendix. 
you believe, and your children, and as many as the Lord will call from faraway places, from north, south, east, and west. That, my friends, is the gospel. And we can't, we can't shorten that. We, have, we really have no authority to, uh, to truncate the gospel uh, to the one individual and not include his family. Because uh, it, the Lord works, as it were, in packets and covenants in packets. He's covenanted with his church in, in, a, in a packet sort of way. He's covenanted with you personally. He's covenanted with your family. All right, they're all part of the way the Lord acts. And so my friend's children must be included in your consideration. Now, here's the sad thing. I mean, a number of us uh, were at, uh, at Minute Maid Stadium, and I, you know, you don't know why people reject a, a gospel tract or why they don't stop for preaching and encourage Mark Sumter as he was open-air preaching last night. We passed out about 150 or more. I don't know how many booklets, uh, but some won't even look your way. Some... Uh, uh, some are disturbed to even see that, again, we, we don't know their hearts. But when someone closes their, their mind and their hearts, when their hearts are closed to the gospel, it's not only them that suffer. It's their whole lineage that suffers. It's the whole line that is at risk. Just like the sons of God early in the book of Genesis. They retained some faith. Some few were saved until the time of Noah. Others, by and by, were broken off branches. And that is, my friend, the history of the world. And that's why we have to take great care to know the faith for ourselves and then to be, deliver, to be those who are stewards and uh, patrons, as it were, or fathers, of course. We are patrons. Uh, but uh, we might use and borrow this word for now, even though it's Reformation Week, the godfathers. We're, we're, as it were, functional godfathers to children in the church. God, regard, God himself regards the children of even one, one believing parent. Look, as I said, the earth is, is in, the visible, in the visible way can be distinguished in just two ways. There are those that are covenanted with God in the visible covenanted community of Christ. That's the church. And that's the only saving body, the only saving institution. Ordinarily, no one in the world is saved apart, uh, apart from belonging to the church. Now, the rest of the world is not under covenant. And the, the rest of the world, God recall, uh, re regards as common. They are unwashed. They, they are not washed by the word. Now, there's, God is, is good to all creatures. He brings the rain, sunshine, gives them crops, gives them good families. Sometimes he gives the best material things to people that are not in the visible covenanted church. That's up to the Lord. He's good to all. But there's no saving grace in any of that. And he withholds the knowledge of himself, the saving knowledge of himself, from these. Now, the children that are born in those families, they're not holding the way that God regards the children who are visibly in the covenant of the church. Because in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14, Paul explains to the Corinthians, the unbelieving husband, now he's, he's not in the visible church. He's not, he's not a believer, he's not baptized, but he's married to a believer. The unbelieving house is made holy or sanctified because of his believing wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy or sanctified because of her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be 
as the rest of the world, unclean or common. But as such, children of at least one believer in a family are holy. They are holy. The God regards them in a special way under the covenant. And they are under a special protection and consideration. And the most likely outcome of that is if they, when they die, eh, uh, you know, many would say that they are they died in the covenant. Uh, God saves his elect children despite their age. That's the thing that I will always say. The children belonging to uh, believers, at least at least one believer in the house, uh, they relate to children. They, they relate to Jesus in a way that the children of the world do not relate. And there is no relating apart from God's covenant. There is no contract you, anyone can draw with God apart from the covenant contract that he draws in the gospel today. If children are excluded then from Jesus' kingdom, you know, some people would think, well, Jesus, children really, they're not part of a, a visible church. They would say, now this is, how, how could they possibly understand this? Okay? But if the children are excluded from Jesus' kingdom, then God's promises to them are void. It wasn't an everlasting covenant. It was just a long, it was a long covenant, which means the children that were born, say, 15 years before Christ, 15 BC, they were, they were inducted into an everlasting covenant that only lasted another 50 years or so. That doesn't make any sense, my friends. That was not a very enduring covenant, except if the covenant is one of grace that does endure into New Testament times. The covenant of, the covenant of grace to them would not be everlasting if now there was a barrier and, and something very radical about the kingdom as it was being administered under Christ. The children of believing Jews then would be sadly, tragically, uh, unjustly disinherited. But you know, God wouldn't do that. But some of his disciples might. Some of his disciples might. The old kingdom then, the old covenant, strangely, would be more gracious to children than the new covenant. Does that make any sense? John says that in the new covenant we have grace upon grace. Not grace minus grace. And so children, of course, continue on into the promises of Abraham. Jesus understood this. Jesus taught it. Jesus insisted on this and therefore proved it. The fruit of it is by laying his hands on the children that were brought to him. He blessed them. He blessed them. Let me conclude the preaching. Now, Jesus takes great interest in receiving young children to himself because they also are full citizens of the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> now, my friends, be, be careful with your prejudices. Be, be careful not to look at men as men. When you look at a man or a woman or a child, you need to recognize that this one, this one in eternity, is a soul that might be mightier and more glorious than the most, the most glorious angel. This one is, an, is restored in the image of Christ himself. This one has the price of divine blood that is his as the ransom for this particular soul. We need to look at individuals differently than we do. Now, there's not numbers. I, I, I abhor the, the, the church growth vocabulary that says 
Well, we have so many, so many family units. Good grief, machines have units. Churches have members, and we have souls. And some of those souls are children. And we need to relate them to, as those who have a full inheritance awaiting to them. And we are to prosper them in their, in their inheritance all the way. Do not underestimate the ability of children to soak in great truths at a, at a young age. And then, I'm sure they have the Holy Spirit. Of course, the Lord will, the Spirit will illumine that mind. But if they, if they were to be converted later, they'll be like Saul of Tarsus. You know, they have all this information, all the Old Testament scriptures, but they don't have the understanding. They don't have a saving understanding of the scriptures. Otherwise, they wouldn't persecute the Lord Jesus and his followers. But when the Lord brings his light, Saul of Tarsus is converted. A switch goes off in his head. Scales fall off of his eyes. And he understands the whole thing all at once. All at once. He begins to see how wrong he was. He begins to look at the law, the 10th commandment, and says, oh, do not covet. Oh, no. How could I have missed this? I, I do have unrighteous desires that stir within me incessantly. And he realizes now that though he was a covenant child and even a Pharisee, he was outside a living union with the mediator of the covenant of grace. How could that be? That's the way it is. That's the way it is. And Paul, excuse me, and Saul, who was great, was renamed Paul, little. He had to learn. He had to learn what it is to receive the kingdom as a child. And the Lord helped him with that. And you have vowed to help other believers in the church when you joined. And you vowed to help their children. I hope this passage here understand, will, will, will underline and italicize and bolden your responsibility to the children. It's not just when you're in the classroom teaching them in Sunday school. It's just how you relate to them week by week. Do you greet them? Do you look them in the eye? Some, you know, sometimes you have to stoop because they're, they're little wee things. They're down there. You know, you gotta watch your back. Don't throw your back up. Just you know, do what you can to get to get a good sight. Greet them or uh, or, or take an interest. Encourage them in, in the things that they enjoy, especially in the things of the Lord. The churches then who intentionally remove children. From the corporate worship of God, I don't, I don't know how you can justify that. Now, if they're noisy, of course, all right, or, you know, and if they're and if they're ill, sure, sure, sure. Uh, but, but my friends, all the ordinances are part of their, uh, are part of their upbringing. All that is in Christ is theirs. So you have to be very careful. You have to be very careful what you do when you move the children from the the worship of God's family. Uh, we can talk about this long, but we won't. We must take this passage seriously. When the minister blesses, he gives a benediction, that is the blessing of Jesus. It's not that, the, it's not that, your, it's not that your pastor is holier or more knowledgeable than any of you. That's not true. Probably not. But that's the nature of his office. And that's the nature of the ministry. He gives his benediction. And so bring your children to, to church. And encourage them to look up and to see, you know, this is the Lord Jesus. He's taking an interest in you, all right? 
my friends, the overwhelming majority of Christian churches throughout all history baptize infants. Why? Well, I think after this passage, you might have a better insight into that. And so, you know, take note of this. Make a note in your Bibles to study this. Uh, this is not, uh, just because we have fallen into a relative minority in some parts of North America doesn't mean that in the rest of the world it's not the case. Okay. Believing parents who have lost infants and young children, they have as good a hope as David, the prophet, did in seeing their child again with Christ in heaven. It's not that they were innocent. Our children are poisonous sinners, as, as poisonous as vipers in their sin, dead in sins and trespasses. But God saves and constitutes them citizens of his heavenly kingdom. And so we have hope. Being in the kingdom and not being withdrawn from the kingdom, except by the hand of the Lord Jesus and his providence at their death, we have strong, strong reasons to rest in his promises. And my friends, if you ever have trouble understanding the Bible, you know, we say that the Bible is clear, it's perspicuous. It's a long word meaning it's clear. I don't know why they invented a, a long word to describe something as clear because the long words are not so clear, but they do. It's perspicuous. It means you can see right through to the light that's on the page despite the difficulty of the teaching. But that's only true if you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, He will, he will lead you into all truth. The biggest mystery is not that we don't understand all of the Bible. The biggest mystery is that so many Christians have such scant, or so-called Christians, have such very little knowledge of Scripture. But the, the, the reason that they don't have is that they don't ask. They don't ask. Because all these things will be given to you freely. Freely. And of course, you have to attend the ministries and the, the ordinances and the way God teaches you. But if you persevere in that and you wait on the Lord, all that is necessary for you, God will bring to light. God will bring to light. And that's a promise in the, in the gospel. When you receive the Holy Spirit, when you receive Christ and believe on him as he's given to you in the gospel, you receive his spirit. And he will be your guide. He will guide you into all truth. He will magnify the Lord Jesus in his person, the divine son of God, who died on your behalf, who... who who uh, was your substitute on the cross so that you would not have to pay your, your debt of sin. And, of course, sin had no power over him at all, though he was imputed all the elect's sin that could not keep him in the grave, and he rose again gloriously from the dead. That's the Jesus we preach every Sunday here is Easter. We preach him continually. And that's why, my friends, we have such hope. We have hope that his kingdom will endure because we serve a living, risen, and glorified king who has all authority over all parts. And that includes authority over children to grant them life as how he pleases. Now the Lord make this teaching clear in your minds. And may you give him the glory due to a majestic, all-powerful, all-knowing, good and loving Savior. None better to deliver your children than Jesus. I'd like to see more boasting in Jesus and less in theology and other denominations. Let's pray.
Lord, your goodness extends to all. And this passage will rebuke 